Chris, I know that in the past, maybe we have exaggerated our interest in darts on this podcast, talking about Phil Taylor, talking about Bow and Arrow, who we do unironically stand. Oh, of course. Um, But I'm here to tell you, I watched a bit of the Darts World Championship while we were on our break, and I've come to the conclusion that darts is the perfect sport. Like, no, no word of a lie. Darts is a flawless spectator sport. You start off with the crowd. The energy in there is amazing. Like, the thing is packed mm. to the rafters. These people love their darts. You got great characters. I don't know much about the current professional darters besides bow and arrow, but you got guys with mohawks and big beards, and they've all got their own walkout music. They're half, like, professional wrestlers. Uh, there's no sure. defense. It's just, like, one person <laughs> and their darts. Like, there's nothing... Like, there's no, like, interference, which I think is great. It's just you and the dart. Like, mm-hmm. you have an opponent. But if you play perfectly, you are you you could, like, never lose, in theory. If you just mm-hmm. nine dart every time. Sure. And also, the skill ceiling is ridiculously high because everyone has played darts. Everyone knows, like, if you or I go to the dart play go to the bar and play darts like well i'll miss the entire dartboard sometimes even though i think i'm doing the exact same thing and these people can just bam 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 like everywhere they need to go it's it's remarkable and i think it's got like universal appeal because everyone's played darts everyone knows how even though it looks easy it's not except these guys make it look easy uh yeah i think i could do it yeah well let's go try Uh, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put you up against uh, bow and arrow. Or MVG. Um, mm. That's what I call Michael Van Gerwen. You, right. so, you mentioned you know people with mohawks and beards, but what about someone with no hair to speak of at all? <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is the quintessential darts look, I think. But the, the number one thing about darts is that it is like all highs all the time. <laughs> sure. Like there are other sports where it's like like soccer, for example, which people like, is like, it's soccer is so much of a low for so much of it that the high feels really intense. And that's like one way to design a sport and one way for it to appeal to people like baseball is another one like that, where like there's a lot of sort of tedium, but then that makes the highs even more fun. But darts is sort of the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like stuff is constantly happening. Rounds take like two minutes tops and then they go right into the next one. And like you make one mistake, it's over like bam, bam, bam. And also these guys are doing lightning quick math in their head. They're, calculating exactly what they need to triple out double out trip oh i missed the triple 20 and only got a single 20 that means three frames from now i'm gonna need a triple 17 instead of a double 14 like it's remarkable in every single way i was blown away um i'm not gonna subscribe to dazone to watch more darts because dazone's crazy expensive but i wish that i could and uh yeah darts is the perfect sport uh football there's also a lot of tedium that I pour like, my heart out to you about <laughs> my newfound love of darts, and you have a, a touchdown based pun. <laughs> hey, it only took you 500 passes. Uh, speaking, <laughs> speaking of Not remarkable and universal appeal, it's time for another episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. Edition, new edition. You ever listen to any new edition? Uh, no, no, I haven't. Interesting. And why is that? I don't. Is it a band? <laughs> yeah, you're in a new edition. No, no, I They've don't. They've got all those classic songs like uh, scrolling through their discography on Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, well, of course, you know, Belbiv DeVoe is the the splinter group of New Edition, and they had Poison. You know Poison? That girl is Poison. Oh, yes, yes. I know that from the Pitch Perfect 2 riff-off in which they sing <laughs> that. Flula Borg busts that out. <laughs> oh. oh, I actually do remember. Yeah, it's the same scene that the Green Bay Packers are in. I cracked it up. I mm-hmm. cracked up in the theater watching it. <laughs> And then you loved Flula Borg and his follow-up uh, Army of the Army of the Dead. He was uh, in that, right? I was a big fan of Flula Borg before that. Actually, I was actually I was a big fan of him from his YouTube days, and I was blown away that mm-hmm. he had made it into a feature film. I was so happy for him. 
Right. Oh, he's not in Army of the Dead. What am I thinking of? Anyways, I'm not going to worry about it too much. We're back. The more <laughs> We're back in a big way. Griffin, I have to mention... Oh, I'm peeking a lot, but you know what? We'll push through. I have to mention 2023 movie months are out. That's <gasps> not true. They'll probably stick around. But the new hot thing, Griffin, is discographies. Oh, so... Music months, not not even months. Just just going through the discography of a recording artist and consuming their work. We, so we're starting with Inside Edition. What were they called? <laughs> New Edition. Not Inside Edition. Uh, of course, we recently wrapped up the first project. Uh, do Do you have any genuine guesses as I, to your first? This the isn't going to be project. right, but I feel like I'm I'm going to go with the Beatles. It's not the Beatles. I feel I I don't want to spend too long on this, but I do feel weirdly like you could get it. The key is like think of think of the way I approach movies. Like it's not just about the best, you know. It's yeah. There has to there there are other extraneous elements, <laughs> some of which are like what would be funniest. What would be the funniest discography for you to start with? Uh, you know, I just finished a great episode of uh, Got the Run, so I'm going to go with the Archies. Mm. Your, your first discography was the Archies. <laughs> I know that's a, a core group for you. That's some great cross-promotion, and thank you for the plug. But no, of course, we recently wrapped up Eminem mm. music of Eminem, well-known for his consistency yeah, and... yeah. How how are the 2020s going for Eminem so far? Uh, you know what? Probably better than... I guess he doesn't really have a clean, like, 00s, 10s, 20s break, but I would argue the 20s are going better for him than the 10s, probably. All right, look uh, at that. Second wind. Some real low points on that discography. Um, once we were done Eminem, we took a quick detour into Lil Dicky just to sort of round out the white rapper mm. uh, I'm tour. A fan. I'm a fan. Molly, a poignant song. <laughs> Absolutely. Brendan Urie's feature on that, terrific. Oh, yeah. Um, really belting. This this could be a podcast, Chris. Could you know add what? it to the House and Jan network. That's so true, the HJPN. Uh, we will definitely look into that, Griffin. Thank you for that. Uh the problem is that a lot of it's bad. Mm. <laughs> With all respect to uh, both Eminem and Lil Dicky, the Revival and I'm Brain episodes, uh, of course, the oh, EP brain he released crazy. as his alter ego, The Brain. Very uh, cute in the music videos, though. He's a cute little guy, I must confess. Uh, anyway, Griffin. what's what's this podcast about? It's <laughs> a great question. Uh, you have some, well, really just one intangible. You want to talk about Carlos Correa, who had quite a saga pretty much over the time that we were off. Yeah, pretty much perfectly coincided with our uh, time away from the airwaves. But yeah, we're back. Uh, we hope you guys all had a great holiday. I know that we did. I know mm. that Chris did. Um, I know I did. So, but we did miss doing this, and I'm very very looking forward to 2023, but yeah, Carlos Correa, what a what a winter. If you're not familiar, if you're not a baseball fan, Carlos Correa, a very, very good player, free agent. He signed a multi-year, 300-plus million dollar contract with the San Francisco Giants, and then like half an hour before the press conference was scheduled to announce him, the doctors like found something bad. I think, did we ever find out where it was? I think in his ankle? Yeah, so he has had surgery on an ankle, and I believe that was the the area that was of concern for both the San Francisco Giants as well as another team. Yeah, so once once the Giants were like, hold up, wait a second, the New York Mets immediately pounce, and all the reports are that Carlos Correa is now going to sign with the New York Mets, which is very funny because this is usually the type of thing that would happen to the Mets. Uh, they try and sign someone who's injured, and then another team pilfers them. But the Mets did the Metsing, except did they? Because they then hesitate. They talk to the same doctor that the Giants talked to, who are like, well, yeah, I, I still have the same concerns. It's been a week. I haven't changed my mind. And so the Mets hesitate, and then the Minnesota Twins 
his old team come out of nowhere, scoop him back up for like a hundred million dollars less than he originally signed for. And half as long. Yeah. There. So um, less security, less yeah, total I money. Mean, it's it's a crazy story. I don't I almost I feel like you have to blame the team, right? I think so, yeah. Like I mean, I don't know how easy it was to negotiate with him. I'm sure he wanted to play wanted to be paid like a healthy player. Um but yeah, for a team to just not do their due diligence before, like, the Giants were, like, half an hour away from announcing him before the doctor was like, why, you shouldn't do this. <laughs> yeah, like, that's that's also a good question, is, like, what were they waiting for? Like, they were ready to go, but then, like, they were just, they just, like, got some x-rays in, or what? I don't know, yeah, w- what tests came through at the very last minute? What research? Um, but, yeah. Just but, what? What's your take on the whole thing, Chris? Who, if you were Carlos Correa, who would you be most mad at? Your agent, the teams. Um, I that I one. Doctor? I mean, so Scott Scott Boris is his agent, so that's like a whole thing unto itself. But like, I mean, certainly. Um. Hmm. Who would I be most mad at? That's a great question. I feel like I have. I. I feel like I have to go with the Mets, really, because they knew the situation. They apparently, like like you said, the Mets pounced. They like came in with an offer very quickly, like I think almost practically simultaneously with us learning that he was not signing with the Giants. We heard about the Mets like yeah. very quickly afterwards. So I do feel like I have to be most mad at the Mets for sort of coming in and then pulling out again when they already knew the details of the situation. Like the Giants, you can say, oh, they, you know, they thought they were getting one thing. They maybe had some information that suggested that they might not be getting what they thought they were getting. That's fair. But the Mets, like, they knew the situation. They presumably knew that there would have to be some kind of physical that he would pass. So why not just say, like, we have this on the table Let's, you know, take the physical first. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, did Scott Boris leak this because he sort of wants to? Did he want to pressure the Giants? Like, and like, he wants to put it out there. Like, teams are still interested. Like, Mm. if if this team doesn't get him, then like another team's gonna snap him up quickly. So sign him. And it seems like that worked (laughs) in a way that the like it seemed like the Twins were very very interested in getting him signed. They're not at all concerned about uh, this ankle issue. So, you know, good for the Twins, I guess. They see, they seem very, very happy. Yeah, and I mean, they are getting a great player when healthy. But I think the funniest thing to me is that the Mets asked the same doctor who recommended to the Giants that they not sign him. They, they basically went to that doctor and was like, well, now that it's a week <laughs> later... And it's New York <laughs> instead of San Francisco. What do we think? Like, colder climate. Different Could climate. that help? <laughs> Why don't yeah, you come I mean, out here and test how springy our turf is as compared to the dirt in uh, San Francisco? Is that going to make a difference? Right. And, like, that almost makes sense because on the one hand, it's like, oh, you're basically, you know, it's not legal for them to, I assume, to get, like, just get the physical from the Giants. Yeah. Like the Giants aren't giving that information out. So you're basically being like recreating <laughs> what the Giants got. And so that is like weirdly smart in a way, but it's also like, you know what this is going to turn up. You know what his recommendation is going to be at the end of it. Yeah. I think what happened with the Giants was that they, the front office wanted to sign him. They knew about the medical issue. And so they didn't tell the owner until like the last second because they were hoping the owner would just they were like oh by the way the physical found this thing we think it's gonna be okay and look it's a half an hour until the press conference and the owner and the owner was like you want me to give 350 million dollars to this guy like no um yeah they were they were asking for forgiveness rather than for permission yeah they they thought that they had left themselves like no wiggle room but the owner was like not so fast but much like uh a cd changer at a young parent's house, oh boy. there's always wiggle room. Ha! That was a good one.
Thank you. Uh, but Griffin, moving on to a different sport in a different location, specifically the fair city of Toronto. The Toronto Raptors, Griffin. Not very good. As I have here in the document, Raptors suck! Exclamation mark. That's quite uh, the headline. I've been, <laughs> I've been trying to popularize uh, hashtag bad team to describe this season. Uh, Although, you know, we'll talk about how bad their team really is. The way that I sort of framed it is that, you know, we talked about the Raptors last year when, like, when Scotty Barnes was coming into his rookie year. And I was pretty pessimistic, I feel like. I I think I had them at the the 12th seed. They're currently the 11th seed. I sort of talked about how their roster just seems a little talent deficient. Like, they have a lot of somewhat question marky guys and it feels like this is the season that i foresaw just coming a year after the fact yeah well that is the question chris a lot of people had these sort of concerns about the half court offense and the shot creation and things like that with the whole vision six nine that the raptors are trying to execute and so The question is, which season is the real one? The good one last year, where they finished as the fifth seed, or the bad one this year, where they struggle to remain even relevant in the playoff race? And, I mean, I would have to say that this year certainly feels... This year feels worse than last year felt good. Yes, certainly I would say that. Like... I mean, I find them so difficult to watch right now. Like, Oh, it's it's ugly basketball. Yeah, and there's a certain amount of sort of like pervasive pessimism to watching the Raptors, I feel like. Like, in a tight game, you just feel like they're going to blow it, um, you know, in any year. But then this year specifically, it's like they really do just like constantly drop the ball. Uh, They did have the overtime win against the Knicks recently. That was a nice win, but generally speaking, like wins have been pretty hard to come by but the thing i feel like i know people are talking about it i heard nick nurse talking about it after their loss to the milwaukee bucks but they're three point they are the worst three-point shooting team in basketball and i feel like that just doesn't come up it's just like oh they're losing games like they might trade players it's like no they're the worst three-point shooting team in the league they shoot under 33 percent as a team they don't have like it's Gary Trent Jr. is shooting 36%. That's the only 36% three-point shooter that is in the primary rotation. Fred Van Vliet is shooting 33% from three. Pascal Siakam is shooting 32%. Chris Boucher and Scotty Barnes are shooting under 30%. Like, they're such a bad three-point shooting team that I almost feel like that alone can, like, explain it. That if they were even average... They would be like they would have like five more wins. Yeah, because they're they're strong defensively, or at least they should be. Whether or not they actually are is a question. Um, they have talent. Oh, they have defensive talent. talent for sure. Everyone on the roster has the capability of being a plus defender. I think, but yeah, mm-hmm. the like Gary Trent should be should be above 36%. Fred Van Vliet should be above 36 And then last year, they had Precious Achua, who became a good three-point shooter. They had Chris Boucher, who was reliable from out there. They added Otto Porter Jr., who was supposed to give them some shooting. So it's like every single member of the team is either shooting worse than they were last year or just, like, not, not, not improved. There's been... They tried to address it in the offseason with one guy who would come off the bench, and he only played nine games and then is shut down for the year, but maybe he'll come back. I mean, he's got a player option, so I guess we'll see him next year, but it, it really is baffling <laughs> that the entire team somehow got worse at three-point shooting over the offseason. Yeah, and like if you look at sort of the, the general team rankings, that is a huge part of what the difference is like. You look at their numbers and it's like they are still they do still lead the league in steals per game. They do still give up the fewest turnovers per game. Like they are they are still a top five offensive rebounding team. And they're still bad in the areas that they're bad. Like they're still the worst defensive rebounding team in the league. They're still one of the worst teams in terms of two point percentage. But literally the difference between 
the worst three-point shooting team in the league and a bottom 10 three-point shooting team in the league is like the seemingly the huge difference maker uh like you mentioned like they do have defensive talent but they've dropped from being a top 10 defense to as of this recording the 19th ranked defense so that's a huge drop off as well like it feels to me like i mean i think they were kind of lucky last year i do think it is starting to seem Um, that way like they were like i mean but it's like they're still forcing steals so i don't even know if you can explain it with that because it did feel like like gary trent jr Last year, I felt like I was going crazy <laughs> because people were calling well, people were calling Gary Trent Jr. an amazing defender, and I was like, he definitely does gamble a lot for steals. <laughs> like, is that what you're seeing? But they are still the number one team in terms of steals per game, so it can't like you can't really point to that and say, well, they're not getting as lucky with like gambling as they used to be. Although, you know, maybe that's still the case. It it feels like there's less sort of defensive cohesion defensive like sort of fundamentals that are going on and i don't know if you can call that a coaching issue if players are sort of not as bought in as they were last year i don't really know how what to attribute it to well yeah it is bizarre because the things that you're talking about high force a high number of turnovers don't turn the ball over and crash the offensive boards that was how they won last year like it's not like they have mm-hmm lost the things that made them good last year it's just they've stopped working and i think like you said chris it's because the three-point shooting is so far down and the defense is much worse which is bizarre i mean i know that they haven't had precious uh who is a solid defender but aside from that like there's no big change off this roster from last season yeah and that sort of brings me to what i another thing i feel like isn't really getting talked about much is that They are, by all accounts, like significantly better than their record. They, you know, the basketball reference has the expected win loss. They are an over 500 team by expected win loss, even though they're like five games under 500 at this point. They have a positive net rating, which is surprising. And I mean, like, maybe that just comes from them, you know, beating the Spurs by 40 and beating the Hawks by 30, like in October. But they do have a positive net rating. They are ostensibly a plus basketball team. And then if they are 500, then they're suddenly competing to avoid the play-in like they were last year rather than competing to get into the play-in. And, you know, the race in the East is very tight right now. So that kind of swing is very important. Um, Well, that just makes me think this is not a very analytical thought, but... Sure. Like, do we attribute this to the lack of a so-called closer, a, a half-court offense creator? Like, as much as we all love Pascal Siakam's talent, he that is an area where I think he is improving, certainly, but isn't quite at an elite level just yet, where it's like when you're down by four with a minute 20 seconds left, you're either getting the ball to Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet, and neither, well, Fred has the ability to create his own shot, but doesn't usually make it. And Pascal, sure. Pascal's not like an ISO scorer, typically. Although he is, he is better at that than he probably has any right to be, given how he came into the league sure. and all that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's having an amazing season. You know, certainly as good as he was last, like last year, more or less, if not better. Um, if not better. And I guess it's really. I mean, again, I feel like you can maybe point it back to three shoot, three point shooting, where it's like, if you're in the clutch, then a there's more focus on the top offensive players. There's going to be more open shots for players in the corner. There's going to be, you know, just more. It's easier to get open for a role player. I feel like you know, you look at the Raptors losing to the Bucks. Giannis gets like quadruple teamed. And then he kicks it out to Grayson Allen for the wide open three. I feel like that's a situation that, not quadruple team, but that Pascal Siakam might find himself in at the end of a game. Yep. And then also, if in terms of just clock management and like end of game situations, there are a lot of situations where you need a three to go up. And if you're a terrible three point shooting team, and you you know need a three to tie or need a three to do X and you're not making your threes, then like games just sort of get out of hand. And, you know, it's not necessarily a 
the absolute end of the game. And so maybe a game that was, you know, you where you needed a three pointer turns into like a five or six point loss and it looks less like a close loss, quote unquote. But yeah, I mean, maybe that's part of what you can attribute it to because they do play a lot of close games. They don't have a ton of double digit losses, although they do have those as well. Uh, but but especially lately, like in their last 10 games or so, they're around 500 and, you know, they've had two close losses to the Bucks. They had a close loss to the Knicks and then beat them in overtime. It's there's some blueprint there that they are like at least OK, not terrible like they seem to be. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess that brings us to a trade deadline question. The Raptors are the most talked about team in the NBA in terms of trades right now. If you listen to the low post or anything like that, every single week he's talking to people about what the Raptors will do at the deadline. And I don't, I really do not know what I would do if I was Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster. Because, like you say, this team, we have seen this team be better than it is. And the numbers suggest that it is better than the record says, but it's not going to win a playoff round in the East. Right. Like, you might you might make your way through the play-in and then lose to Boston or Brooklyn or Milwaukee in the first round. Like, Yeah, and that, that was sort of, I feel like, what I was saying last year in terms of, you know, when they decided to run this team back, they decided to re-sign the free agents they had and things like that, like... Even, you know, if we're like we're saying this team is better than they seem, this team is actually a 500 team. Yeah. This team, you know, they're a 48 win team, the same as last year. Like, does that really ultimately matter if they're the sixth seed and, you know, they could they could avoid the play in. They could have a home game for the play in. They could be competitive in a first round series with a team like the Philadelphia 76ers like. The question then becomes, in a more macro sense, is that what you want out of the team? And I feel like, especially in nowadays NBA, and, you know, Masai Ujiri agrees with this, I would say, that that isn't, that's like the exact place you don't want to be, is to, like, I mean, I I understand why they sort of decided to run back the same team, because it was such a feel-good story, because they overperformed expectations, because there was some room for growth in terms of like Scotty Barnes development and things like that. But like, it seems like a weird thing to get sentimental about that team. Yeah. I think they thought that Tampa was a blip and that this team that we saw last year was the real team. <laughs> oh, I thought, I thought you meant, I thought you were, you were switching gears to talk about the Leafs. Oh no. Uh, I mean that too, but the Leafs, the Leafs are paying off. They're one of the best teams in the NHL. Uh, but yeah, they are, are. they are, they really are. Uh, the circumstances are different, but this is a very familiar question when it comes to Toronto Raptors basketball and anyone who's been watching it over the last 10 years of like, what are you satisfied with a core of popular players who don't seem like they're ever going to be championship caliber? And last time they were until they weren't and this team is not as good as those Lowry and DeRozan teams were Mm -hmm. so yeah I think I mean yeah I think I would go I would not trade Pascal or OG but I think you try and get something for Fred and Gary Trent considering that it seems like they might be gone anyway and you're not gonna win the championship this year I may buying would not make sense to me I think that's right although they do see like they seem very hush-hush. The only thing I feel like that we have sort of definitively heard is that they're interested in Jakob Pertl. <laughs> like, Which is, they like, are... if you were going to fix the team, you would need a guy like Jakob Pertl. Exactly. And I mean, like, I don't hate what Christian Coloco has brought to the team either. But no, not at all. You do, like, you do need to add talent to the team for sure if you were trying to put yourself back in a playoff situation. And I'm like... That's what's sort of weird is, like, I think that they could be in the playoffs. I think that they are, like I said, they're better than their record suggests. They have had bad luck. in ter- They've had injuries. They've, you know, they lost Otto Porter for the season, who is not a huge piece, but it is a piece for sure. Um, and, you know, I think that 
if they did make a move, you, you know, they got Thaddeus Young last year in one our run. So if you get Jakob Pertle, I think Jakob Pertle is certainly better than Thaddeus Young. Uh, so maybe they do make a run if they yeah, make a move. Yeah, you try and move, get some but... scoring off the bench. Terrence Ross, bring him home. Sure. But yeah, everything we're hearing is that Gary Trent Jr. seems to be on his way out. I don't really have a problem with that. He is nominally an expiring contract. I saw something that he wants $25 million a year, which sounds <laughs> absurd. Someone will give it to um, The Orlando Magic. That's my prediction. I like, if you think about Jalen Brunson, like, Jalen Brunson had a, such a good season last year, and that's, like, the kind of contract he ended up getting. I do feel like people overvalue Gary Trent Jr. a little. They see his age. They see the sort of natural scoring ability and get excited about him. But I can't imagine a team's giving him $25 million, even with this sort of expected cap increase that's going to be happening, people expect, a couple of years from now. Um, But yeah, I feel like in a lot of ways, OG Ananobi is sort of the pivot point because I think a lot of people agree there's not a lot of interest in trading Pascal Siakam. You know, like, what would the offer even be, especially at the trade deadline? Yeah. It seems more like a move, if you were going to make that move, that you make it in the offseason. You know, when teams sort of gear up for those big moves, like the, you know, your Rudy Gobert's, your Donovan Mitchell's, those sort of trades right. tend to happen in the offseason. Uh, I think most people have no problem with Gary Trent Jr. leaving. I think most people have sort of given up or like are ready to be done with the Fred Van Vliet experience. Absolutely. Even though yeah. he's Ra- had Raptors fans for the most part, I think are have love for Fred, but are done with Fred. Yeah. And in, in almost the same way that people had, you know, obviously Fred Van Vliet is not Kyle Lowry, but I do feel like by the end of Kyle Lowry's tenure, people were ready to see him. Yeah. Go. People, people were at um, peace with the idea of him leaving. Right. Exactly. And so I do feel like people are ready to part ways with Van Vliet. And so then it becomes, so if Pascal is in the keeper column, if Trent and Van Vliet are in the we're ready to let you go column, then OG Ananobi becomes this interesting sort of nexus point because keeping him probably means you're going to be a little more competitive. Getting rid of him certainly means you're probably trending more towards a rebuild. Um, yeah, there's apparently a the ton of interest. Well, yeah, he's like... I people are calling him the best three and D wing that will be available, and maybe one of the best three and D wings in all of basketball. Uh, there, we've seen reports that it would be like a Dejounte Murray level package, like multiple first round picks would be what the Raptors would take, which I think sounds right. I'm just getting a quick age check. He is 25 years old, yeah, which definitely surprises I mean- me. I would have said 27 or 28. Yeah, he has not been in the league very long. He's been injured a lot, and so I feel like that sort of, you know, time almost feels like it's moving more slowly uh, when guys aren't seeing the court as much as they maybe should. But, yeah, I mean, he is definitely... The, the contract is the biggest thing. He has he signed for one more year after this year uh, and then can be a free agent. You have to think that whoever's going to be trading for him does have some level of interest in retaining him. And it's just an interesting situation because he does feel so valuable in terms of the trade market. I almost feel like he's maybe a little overvalued on the trade market right now. Yeah, very um, possibly. But then at the but then at, like, you know, in terms of people sort of talking about him as and, you know, maybe I'm undervaluing him a little bit. That he is this amazing 3 and D wing that he does probably you know, make a pretty good defense a lot better in terms of adding, like, an elite wing defender to the mix. Like, he he's not the flashiest player. He's not the most exciting player just because he is so solid and, you know, is going to be your third or fourth option on a contending team. And yet it feels, it, it feels like everyone wants him, but also, like, people are unwilling to give up very much for him. Yeah, yeah, and I mean... I think if you check NBA Twitter, you'll see the reports that the Raptors want multiple first-round picks and people will scoff. But I do think that there would be a team out there desperate to give up probably two, Um, whether it's the Los Angeles Lakers and their two picks or 
I, I, I read an Eric Kareen column the other day that was asking different beat writers, and he offered Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. for those first for those two first round picks and the Lakers the Lakers writer said yes so I think you Lakers jumped at that snap that up without hesitating because who the hell knows how bad the Lakers are going to be in 2027 I think they're going to be really bad in 2027 yeah I was I was reading those exact same articles Griffin because I think that they present such an interesting picture of what the market is like because you have you know you have people saying I mean that's the trend the Trent and Van Vliet package like yeah. that people being psyched for that was very funny. And then you look at that column and it's like, you know, OG and Thaddeus young for Dylan Brooks, Zaire Williams and two first rounders. And the, the response is take Dylan Brooks out of the deal. And you're on to something <laughs> like, dude, you're not willing to part with Dylan Brooks. Hey, let's put some respect on Dylan Brooks's name. 20 points on 20 shots, nothing else, baby. That's my brand of basketball. Um, or like, you know, there's this one that's Obi Toppin, Evan Fournier, who is basically dead money at this point, and then two first-rounders. And it's like, uh, I don't know if the Knicks want to give this second first-rounder. It's like, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. So I, I think trading OG would be a – I think you have to test the waters, but – I would be shocked if they trade OG Ananobi. I think that the Raptors love him. I wouldn't be shocked if they trade Fred Van Vliet or Gary Trent, but I would be very surprised if they parted with OG Ananobi. Yeah, I would be very happy with that Lakers trade. I think with OG, it's like it really is totally market dependent. And I think that the Raptors have historically done a very good job at positioning themselves in that way where they are waiting for people to come to them they are generating a market without and generating competition and you know bidding wars in the market without sort of seeming desperate on their end like they have been willing to sort of hold on to their hand in ways that has been successful for them in the past right and we we are running a bit long here chris but just one name that's come up surprisingly little is the apparent franchise cornerstone in Scotty Barnes the reigning rookie of the years we've had this talk and his sort of the idea that the Raptors have these two windows of the Scotty Burns 20-year-old window and the Pascal Siakam 27-year-old window and just sort of how awkward it is for them to try and balance these two players and I think if there was an argument for trading Pascal Siakam which I absolutely am not advocating for that would be it. The idea that you've got this guy who could be a future superstar in Scotty Barnes. That was certainly how people were talking about him last year. And he, I know people mm-hmm. have said he hasn't made a big leap this year, but he hasn't looked worse this year. Like, it's his second year in the NBA. The guy's 21 years old. Um, I think people need to pump the yeah, brakes on the Scotty Barnes panic. I think that's exactly right. He has been very up and down. I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, he has. A lack of intensity has been noticed, and I think that that's not totally unjustified. Like, it's hard to like, go quarters or go games when he is not super visible on the court. That is, like, a frustrating thing to see for people, I think. But, yeah, I mean, like, I think that people have pumped the brakes a little bit on being, like, Scott is what we thought he was. Like, people were, seemed very down on him earlier in the season. Yeah. And I think people have chilled on that a little bit people seem to be a little more even keeled yeah i mean i see what you're saying but i don't think that pascal siakam is like the guy i think if anything i would argue that fred van vliet is the guy in terms of in terms of people who might be limiting scotty barnes development Hmm. you know not by any fault of their own but just by playing the position that scotty should play yeah basically that if not the position, i.e. point guard, then the position, i.e. like the guy who's handling the ball, the ball for the primary action on the overwhelming majority of possessions. Right. The guy who is sort of making the first move. I think that, you know, at the very least, even if you we don't necessarily know if Scotty Barnes is going to instantly be that guy, he's certainly not going to be Fred Van Vliet right away, I don't think. But putting him in a position where you can sort of see what you have in that He's averaging five assists this year, basically like by accident. <laughs> like they haven't played. I think he's center, such a great passer. Like... Yeah, they. 
he has not been in put in tons of positions to succeed. He's such a great passer. I wonder about his dribble a little. That's the biggest thing for me is that like his vision is amazing, but I don't know if he necessarily has the handle to consistently be that primary ball handler. But I think that that's something that I would like to see him develop. And I think that trading Fred Van Vliet does give him a lot more opportunity to be that guy. I would agree with that. Just before we go to break here, Chris, I just want a one-word answer from you, yes or no, is there a Nick Nurse conversation to be had given the disappointing results of this year? Yes. Okay, I'm going to ask one I... follow-up before we go to break. <laughs> are are I, you, I are you that... down on Nick Nurse? I am down on Nick Nurse. I'm not fire Nick Nurse, and I, I don't think the conversation necessarily needs to be around will Nick Nurse be coaching the Raptors next year or anything to that extreme? But I do think that there is a conversation to be had around Nick Nurse and sort of his role in sort of guiding the team to be what they are now. It does feel like this roster is sort of shaped around his philosophy in a way. Um, And it does seem like players are not as bought into that philosophy this year as they were last year that is what i will say on nick nurse yeah we've heard the rumblings from cj mccollum and others that there's some unhappiness in the raptors locker room maybe that'll be addressed at the trade line we've got to take a break but that was a great talk uh as much as i love how silly we can get i love the serious sports talk too but we'll be right back in just a moment in just a moment (laughs) (laughs) i couldn't think of anything else to say And welcome back to High Floor, Low Ceiling, Griffin. What a what a terrific segment. It really was. I lost my transition privileges at the end there. You you brought hey, us back from break. If there's one thing I'll always have, it'll be transition <laughs> privileges, baby. <Hey. laughs> but Griffin, we turn our attention now to another sport by the name of footy. Right? That's right, that? mate. <laughs> oh. Not uh I was gonna say New England Joe, but really it's old England Joe. <laughs> old England Jeffrey's the name. Oh. <laughs> not old England Jeffrey. I'm here to talk uh, about I heard you said we were gonna talk about footy. <laughs> that got me very excited. <laughs> no, New England Jeffrey, I think you're confused. I, I may have sort of been what? willfully misleading there. What? <laughs> The classic B-O-T what? Old England Jeffrey, we're talking about the 2023 NFL playoffs. Oh, well, I don't know as much about that. Being from Old England, uh, we don't really follow that over here. So uh, I'm just going to pack up my my boots and uh, my my football, (laughs) my prop of football. I thought you meant the trunks of your cars. No, no, like my, my, my... my so soccer boots, boot. my football boots, uh, right, and I'll, your golden I'll, boots. I'll just go. You guys let me know the next time Yara's on to talk about uh, <laughs> proper football, and I'll I'll join us. I'm I'll join us. <laughs> I'm I'm sure we'll have need of old English Jeffrey. Oh man, nice to meet you, old English Jeffrey. I'm sorry that Chris faked you out like that. Um, wow. First up of 2023 and already a new long-lasting character. Uh, I mean, but Griffin, the guy we're gonna talk footy. He got excited. <laughs> I know he did. We're going to talk about the NFL playoffs, a very entertaining wildcard weekend. I mean, just running it down, you had uh, some great close games between, you know, the Bills and Dolphins was surprisingly close. Yep. The Bengals and Ravens was maybe a little surprisingly close. I knew it was going to uh, be do you wanna... close. <laughs> everyone counted okay. out my baltimore ravens everyone was like this is i knew that uh-huh. they could play them close and <laughs> that just made it worse in the end because i had tricked myself into sure. thinking that they could win and they could have won they i think they were legitimately the better team i'm not sure if you watched the whole game chris but i did not I the did ravens not played to... better than the bengals and it was one stupid 99 yard fumble return which had an illegal block in the sure. back by the way should have been called back um <laughs> Wow, I've never seen you get this fired up. I just, they weren't going to win the Super Bowl, especially with Lamar Hurt, but they were so good. 
And they de- the defense is so good on the Ravens, and it'll mostly be back next year. So I think next year they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. But we got eight teams left, Chris, after a, a fantastic super wild card weekend. Not as good as last year, where like every single game came down to the last play, but pretty close. Yeah, and I didn't even mention, you know, you had the Brett Maher game. Oh, God, yeah. That was a, Thank that was God a legendary they occurrence. Thank God lose by four or less. Um, I was so ready. I was so hoping that it would be close and that that would like become a talking point more. It already was a huge talking point when the game wasn't close at all. Yeah. So I can only imagine how big it would have been otherwise. And then, Zach of course, Prescott the Jaguars. Why don't we go for two on the sideline? Did you see that? <laughs> I did. He was not happy. Good. Team. And then the Jaguars and Chargers, of course, a a rip roaring game for the ages. Yeah, an four epic first half game. interceptions for Trevor Lawrence. But hey, second half Trevor Lawrence undefeated. Absolutely. And did you see the thing that he has never lost on Saturday, going back to before his high school days? Really? That's crazy, because I know that he yeah. lost to Ohio State, but I guess that game was on a Sunday, um, if yeah, I remember or, correctly. No, it's like they play on a Tuesday a lot for some reason um, in the national championship right. game. Right, But Griffin, we have a little segment that I am calling, you, that you, I, I need to give proper credits here, that you brought to me, and I, I said I like it. You said you love it in you, all caps. I exactly. I said I like it when you gave me the idea, and then you told me the true idea, and oh. you, and I said I love it, Griffin. And I've come up with a great name, in my opinion, a fantastic. I'm name. calling this. I'm calling this Super Bowl Stickum. So we are going to be drafting some teams, a classic HFLC draft. We're going to be drafting some teams to uh, to go all the way of the eight remaining playoff teams. But, Griffin, we will be drafting each other's teams. Yeah, so... so we are going to be sticking each other with, uh, with the worst slate of teams that we can. Right. Of these eight teams remaining, one of them is going to win the Super Bowl, so one of us will be a clear winner of this draft. But whoever it is will have the other to thank. It's mind games. It plays us against each other. It's perfect, Chris. Um, absolutely and, and also and I do we, think we can't that... just like we're not very good at just picking winners on their own so the fact that there's like sure, a limited terrible. field we are guaranteed to to get the winning team somewhere in here <laughs> absolutely go rams um <laughs> and it you know there there are maybe sort of an upper and a lower class of remaining teams but i don't feel like as in there's the afc like and the a NFC? clear Pretty much. Um, But I don't feel like there's like a clear number one team or a clear number eight team even. I think that there are a few different directions you can go with with your picks here. I agree. And it's especially interesting because the NFC teams aren't as good as the AFC teams for the most part. But I do think that means that like the NFC teams are going to have an easier road to the Super Bowl. And just getting to the game is most of the battle. So yeah, I mean, before you stick the traffic with like it is nowadays, games. you know, yeah, just getting to the game. <laughs> Where is it? Arizona. Uh, I don't so, know if Arizona is famous for traffic. Probably not. Uh, it's a desert. Griffin. <laughs> I just I have to bring up here for a moment that uh, I've brought up the Google coin flipping function. And apparently people also ask, is a coin flip actually 50 50? That's very, yes. very profound. Uh, yes, the the answer does seem to be yes. From what I remember I've seen. my grade Although 12. Although it can land on its edge, Griffin. Oh yes, of course. I remember my grade twelve stats and data management class, which I did very well in. Not to brag. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. So, so if I win this coin toss, who picks first? You. So if you win the coin toss, I'll ask you to call it, Griffin. And if you win the coin toss, you can decide whether you would like to, as in football. Go first or defer to me. Okay. So I am going to click flip, and I would like you to call it in the air right now. Heads. Griffin, it is heads. I will send you a screenshot. I believe you. You have one. Would you like to receive the first pick or defer to me for the first pick? I would like to receive the first pick on behalf of Team Chris. That's the right call. (laughs) Right. 
and Team Chris welcomes you. Uh, it's an honor uh, to be here. So, I've always wanted to be on oh, Team Oh, yeah, Chris. I guess that is the thing, is I have to get excited about these picks as well that you're making. So it's not our usual draft strategy where we make fun of each other's picks. We actually have to be hyping up the other person's No, picks. yeah, I'm giving you four gifts here, Chris. And so with the Absolutely. first overall pick of the Super Bowl winner draft, Team Chris is proud to select a, a bit of a surprising choice. I didn't think Team Chris would go with this first overall, but they are going to take the Jacksonville Jaguars first overall. So the Jaguars belong to Chris. Chris, are you excited to have Trevor Lawrence on your team? Never lost on Saturday. Um, I'm not the most excited, Griffin. That <laughs> The point you made just moments ago about the AFC and the NFC actually probably swayed me a little bit. Because I think that that's a great point. I think that, you know, I guess I should probably pull up the playoff bracket to see who's playing against whom. Because that's the Jaguars play the but, Chiefs. Right. Uh, and then they would go on to play the winner between Cincinnati and Buffalo. So basically, you know, the Bills did look shaky. But I think most people would expect that regardless, this team is going to have to go through the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills pretty clearly the two best teams uh, in the AFC in the regular season. That's a tough matchup for any team. It's especially tough for the Jacksonville Jaguars who, you know, they have one of the best coaches in football. Apparently. Uh, by, <laughs> apparently. Uh, you, well, you know, he has a terrific track record. Um, he does. And so that that is, they. I think they are a wild card, but... I think they would be more of a wild card if they were not playing the Chiefs yes. in this upcoming playoff game. Uh, so I am now left with an interesting quandary because I do think I definitely want to go with an NFC team here. And there are two great choices. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll reveal my thinking, Griffin. I think that that's because I do think that you will probably pick the team that I don't pick. Uh on the one hand, I think the New York Giants, hmm, I do think they're probably the worst team remaining in the playoff field. They had a very inspired performance against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, but at the same time, just cosmically speaking, I think I, ha I think I actually just for that reason, I think it just makes sense. It's terrible vibes to stick you, Griffin. <laughs> with the Dallas Cowboys as your first overall pick. It's like, it's nothing it's to do with on the field. It's just that they're the Dallas Cowboys. In the same way that, like, if we were doing this with the NHL, that I would love to stick you with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, it's just, it it really just, like, wrecks the chemistry of your team. It does. It's a big blow against my team because we all know, no matter how talented they are, the Cowboys are not winning the Super Bowl. Uh, that's basically a guarantee. I think that's more of a guaranteed loss than any other team on the list. I almost gave them to you first overall, but I did think that the Jaguars just had the tougher road. Uh, but I mm -hmm. am absolutely going to take the team you did not take, Chris, or you are going to take the team that I did not take. Yes, uh, please. The New York Football Giants. I'm not. Im I'm not super impressed by the win over the Vikings because I've been on the Vikings are frauds train oh, all year long. Absolutely. Uh, shout out to Mitch Martin, my coworker, our classmate who was not on that train. Um, but yeah, never so, a good train to be on. No. <laughs> so, uh, or not be on. Yeah. The Jacksonville Jaguars are joined by Daniel Jones and the New York football giants. And now I think things get interesting. I do think things get very interesting here. Um, yeah, I mean it, like I said, there's, I think that. We've now sort of swept out the lower class of the remaining teams. It does look a little rough for me having both the Jaguars and the Giants on my team. Um, but I think I made the right move. It would it would just feel so bad to have the Cowboys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and now really, like, there's one team I'm definitely not taking. I don't feel firmly about any other team that I would never take them in this position as me. um yes for you of course <laughs> right <laughs> I'm glad we made this as confusing as possible <laughs> um yeah so 
I, I don't want to give away too much of my thinking here, but I do think I have to go there. Okay. I'll, here's what I will say. There are two directions I can go. I can pick one of the Bengals or the, the bills because they, that is, I think clearly by far the closest matchup yeah, on paper. So, so one of my teams I'm guaranteed to say goodbye to this week. If you go that way. Exactly. Exactly. On the other hand, I can go with what I feel is the team remaining that is the least likely to sort of make the full run. Because if, you know, if the Bengals get through, then why couldn't they beat the Chiefs? They were just in the Super Bowl last year. Yeah. You know, if the Bills get through the Bengals, then, you know, they were... Yeah. Competitive are are you going with the positional fit or the best player available, Chris? Which, which, which exactly? Direction? And I think I have to go with what I deem to be the best player available. And I hate to do it, but I'm going to go with the San Francisco 49ers. They don't have an elite quarterback. They are the you know of the remaining teams uh, to be drafted. They are the one team that does not have an elite quarterback. Uh, they might have a very good quarterback, but. They don't have an elite quarterback. Uh, And that's really all I can say. They had a dominant win in the first round. They have a great matchup with the Cowboys in the second round. But if I'm picking a team to ostensibly beat the Eagles and then beat whatever the AFC team is, I just believe less in the 49ers than I do in any other one of the remaining teams. And so I have to give them over to you, Griffin. Although... I feel like if I were in your position, I would be happy to have the 49ers on my team. I am, yeah, and I think this is really, like we said, this was where the draft changes, and you can see that because the 49ers have an elite defense and a great running game with Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey, so I think this is where picking first is really going to help me in that I have three bona fide contenders on my team, and you are going to only have two, so I think that the odds are in my favor. Uh, the 49ers, for what it's worth, were the next on my list. I would have chosen them after the Cowboys. So I agree with you there. Uh, so Chris, with your third pick, you are going to go over to the AFC and you're going to take a team I was not impressed by last week. Uh, you're going to have the Cincinnati Bengals. And like you said, it's a risk because if they can beat the Bills who look shaky against Miami, they've got momentum and they're a team, they're a team like with swagger and, like, I feel like they are sort of front runners. Um, so, but I just, I don't think that they can beat the Bills. And then I think getting through the Chiefs as well is such an extra obstacle that if you have to play the two best teams in the NFL just to get to the Super Bowl, I feel pretty mm-hmm. confident that one of them can trip them up. Yeah. You know, you make such an interesting point, Griffin, because I do feel the same way as you in my mind that, yeah, they are kind of front runners. They do feel like a team that would rather sort of break ahead of the pack and not have to sort of deal with those adverse conditions. But then you look at last year. You look at them coming back and beating the Chiefs. That was such a huge sort of defining win for this iteration of their squad that you almost have to give them a ton of credit for that and say, why not them in basically any playoff situation? So there, there I don't are no- love... There are no bad picks at this point in the draft. They're, these absolutely. were down to absolutely. the last four Super Bowl contenders. Well, now the last three. That's absolutely right, Griffin. And it makes my job much easier, I think, in this one. I will briefly consider uh, one team, but I think I pretty clearly have to go with a team that did not show us a ton last week. Their offense looked anemic at times. Their defense looked very porous at times. I have to give you the Buffalo Bills, Griffin, a team that I quite enjoy, quite enjoyed watching during the regular season, found it very tough to watch them last week. Um, I got to be honest, a very talented very, team. Very surprising to me. To me, the Bills were the one team I did not want to give you. Wow, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Um, now that I no longer have a pick, I can, well, no, I'll, no, I'll got- wait to, for you to make your pick. No, no, no. I want you to make your pick. Well, this is tough, Chris, because I believe that the Chiefs are a better team than the Eagles. I think that the Eagles, Mm -hmm. if anything, the Eagles scream to me like the Atlanta Hawks that year that they won like 66 games. The Eagles scream. Funny. Um, 
Kong! <laughs> Scree! Uh, yeah. I, I like Jalen Hurts a lot. He was my fantasy quarterback. There's obviously the great receiving talent around him, but I don't know. Are they really a 14-win team or whatever they were? Like, it's, I, the, I understand. it's the Eagles. It's Jalen Hurts. Like, he's a, <laughs> he's a great fantasy quarterback, but... Like, I just, I can't, I could see them making the Super Bowl. I would be tough to see them beating either one. I could even see them losing to the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. So I think I'm going to have to give Team Chris the Philadelphia Eagles with their fourth and final pick. I think that's absolutely the right move, Griffin. That's, you know, if you want to talk about a team that I absolutely did not want to give you, the Kansas City Chiefs would absolutely, I think that that is... They do firmly feel like the top team in the league right now, but I feel like we don't want to totally discount the Eagles either. You know, they have elite receiving talent. They I'll have discount them. <laughs> they have a quarterback who was elite this year. They have really, really good. Like, I think one of their greatest strength is sort of like their ancillary talent is mm. all really terrific. And a, a ton of players who have championship experience, who have playoff experience. Um, have an excellent O-line. Exactly. Like, all those little things that matter in the playoffs. And, you know, I think that even if you want to say Jalen Hurts is not, like, a Peyton Manning, I think that his ability to, you know, throw out a diversity of looks is also very important in the playoffs because teams will be sort of able to shut down your best thing, usually, or your, you know... The best version of yourself so you kind of have to find the the second and the third best versions of yourself like and then that's the point where having Devonte smith as your second receiver does become more important like when your number one receiver gets shut down where do you go and i feel like they are a team that can answer that question more capably than some other player than some other teams can um and of course griffin that ends you up with the kansas city chiefs I can't say that I love my <laughs> roster of talent, but I'm not opposed to it either. I think that my Super Bowl winner can absolutely come out of this group, uh, and I'm happy to have them, and I respect them all. So <laughs> can you please, Griffin, run down who we've got uh, on our respective rosters? Yes, on Team Chris, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars, the New York Giants, the Cincinnati Bengals, mm -hmm and the Philadelphia Eagles. And on Team Griffin, we have the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers, who I believe play each other this weekend. So that's one they of my do. teams out. Um, and then the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. I've got two NFC and two AFC, which you do as well, but I think my teams are... Well, I mean, we can each only have one, two maximum teams <laughs> in the game. Yeah, absolutely. What, what we really have we both to hope have... for is for the Bengals to come, the Bengals to play the 49ers, I think, is, or the Chiefs or the Bills to play the Eagles is most likely for our teams to meet each other in the Super Bowl. Yes, that is definitely what we're hoping for. I think, you know, the big games to watch, the big game is going to be the Cincinnati-Buffalo game. Um, I think we're all assuming that the Chiefs are going to handle Jacksonville, which is maybe not entirely justified i think that you know they are they're a team they're a wild card was the way i put it earlier and i think Very that true. holds true like we could be you know if we were talking about the jaguars win next week we would say that it was shocking certainly but it's not like i could never conceive of a world where this happened no no um, for sure so i think i'm putting a lot of my chips though on on the Bengals to beat the bills this week that is my big that would, my big that would really up. swing uh, it in your favor yeah, so we will revisit this, uh, I'm sure, as the playoffs roll on. An exciting NFL playoffs uh, still to come here. But that will have to do it for this episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to give all the proper ratings and reviewings in the proper locations. Uh, tell a friend about us if yeah. you enjoy the content. Uh, HFLC Podcast on Twitter on Instagram, on TikTok. Uh, and that's it, right? Yeah, oh, I think listen so. to Got the Runs. Yeah, uh, OUA basketball show. Listen to Got the Runs. Got the Runs may be going on a bit of a hiatus uh, mm. because David, my co-host, is and brother, uh, 
is quite busy right now, so we might be going on a brief hiatus. But I gotta say, certainly listen to the. No, yeah, I I listened to a, a bit of a backlog. I listened to uh, an episode about Jughead's Time Police. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I I'm not a huge comic book guy, so I hadn't listened before then. But my God, does David pop on Mikey's excellent. <laughs> wow. it, just, it really just breaks my heart even more <laughs> that he didn't mention me at all that one time he came on HFLC. I thought you were gonna say you it breaks your heart that he is saddled with such a No, you're you're great on such the heavy show baggage too. as a co-host. You're you're but great. David too. really pops, great... that was your impression? David, he's knowledgeable, he's funny, he's charismatic. Um I've mm-hmm. I've long been petitioning you to be the newest member of the house and jan family and i just just give me an audition i think i would be great <laughs> can i, I think say that... you are not the first person to say that so well, uh, there might be a bit of a lo- well that's why you need to have an audition you. process i can prove how well i would mesh okay <laughs> uh well we'll see about that but for now we will have to wait for another day to sort out those logistics for the time being please Keep your floors high and your ceilings low and have a great day.